What is up, guys? Welcome to the Meaning of Podcast. I am Andres. This is RB3. Oh, Sabrina. You said it in Spanish. I'm going to say Dorina instead oh. of Dorina. So there you go. Do you say Dorina? Well, I always say Andres. I had to Americanize it because nobody understood me for, oh, for years. Oh, really? Nah, yeah. nah. Yeah. Listen, nah, this is not the podcast. That was going to say. Yeah, 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 Sweet. Yeah. You already we, we know. Are, we're proud of our. We're proud of our. Awesome. You know I mean? We're proud of where we come from. But either yeah. way, guys, this is the Meaning of Podcast. We're doing a very special episode. As you can see, we have a very special guest. And my special Dorina <laughs> is coming in. Yeah, uh, finally, yeah. Thank you yeah, so much I finally, for coming in. I finally got an invite. And, uh, like, everybody's yeah. been on Super this exclusive. except me. No. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny nah. because I, I've always wanted to have you on, but I always feel, I've told, I told you when we mm. were texting me, and I was like, man, I feel bad asking people to stay longer right, when they're right. already here. Yeah. Like, I remember when, when Christian. Yeah, Christian uh, Rubicopper. Christian Rubicopper. I was going to say Copster, mm. but I already said Copster. Um, mm. When he first came in here, I remember the first time, because he was our first guest, mm. or our second guest, but he was like drinking coffee and right. he was like, all right, guys, I'm so happy to be here. And I was yeah. just like, dude, you can tell it's a struggle to stay yeah. when Actually, you're already hour. here in the morning. Well, especially those guys because the production guys like work uh, so hardest hard. Hardest working yeah. guys in Hollywood. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I'm tired today, but they, they work harder than That's I That's what do. I'm saying. Yeah. That's why I always feel bad being yeah. like, is she cool with staying longer? And, and you texted me back and you're like, yeah. And I was like, oh, yeah, yeah. of yeah. Thank you. Such a night before, like, <laughs> separating. Yeah. Well, Thank no, you for coming on. I am very busy, but because of things, Thanksgiving week and I'm not uh, leaving until tomorrow, I was hey. like, this is the perfect opportunity. Uh, and then I was like, what do you want to talk about? And I was like, Blade Runner? And oh, he's like, perfect. okay. I was like, well, yeah, I'm going to stay for Blade Runner talk I'm with sure. my favorite people. So, yeah. Thank you. Thank, thank you so you. much for doing this. Of course. Um, obviously, I want to get into uh, you two guys are, are probably some of the biggest Blade Runner fans I know. Obviously, there's plenty of you guys. Yeah. But since I have you guys here, I'm so excited to talk about this movie because I'm a Ridley Scott guy mm. and I have a lot of Ridley Scott thoughts. Mm. But Blade Runner is what you guys are, are masters of. And obviously, I want to get to you, Sabrina, to your connection to this movie. And I'll, I'll go around the table. I'll start with you, Darina. W- what is your connection to this movie? What is your, like... Whether it's your first memory of watching it, your right. first reaction, or when you first fell in love with this movie. Well, um, I am a replicant, so mm. there's oh, that. Okay. No, um, I <laughs> actually I remember watching the movie when I was a kid, but not really understanding what was happening. Mm. Uh, and I just saw it in the like I didn't see it in the theater. Uh, even though I grew up in the '80s, I didn't get to see it in the theater because it was actually released uh, the year I was born <laughs> in '82. Mm. And but as way. as a child of the '80s, I watched it on TV. And I never knew what was going on, but I just liked the way it looked, I, mm-hmm. I feel like. Mm-hmm. And I because I liked Harrison Ford as a kid and I liked Indiana Jones and, and, and Han Solo, I just thought, oh, I guess, you know, this Rick Deckard guy is the hero and he's trying to fight these uh, bad, evil replicants, right? right? And then I got older and I rewatched it and uh, I realized how wrong I was mm. as a kid to think that Harrison Ford's character was the hero because he's he's hunting down people that have or not, not people but creatures or living creatures that have been created by humans mm. and that these you know Tyrell has basically said this is how much life you have for your lifespan exactly. Yeah, exactly and then and then it's going to be over and you're only here to serve the human race and and not yourself and mm. and I just I got so obsessed with it because of my own obsession with death and and I get very philosophical as existential about this Ooh. stuff so so then I, I realized oh no Roy Batty is the guy that I actually root for in this movie right. and I just immediately became obsessed the other thing too is I'm a huge soundtrack nerd yeah. and Evangelist's score <sighs> for this movie it's 
It's the best soundtrack ever made, in my mm. opinion. I listened to that soundtrack with my mom all the time when I was a kid. I didn't understand the movie. I was just obsessed. I'm so obsessed with it that I can probably like hum the music and the arrangements, even though it's all synthesizers and stuff. Right. So, so yeah. And then I got to see the final cut when it was released, I think, 2007? 2007. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, they actually had a screening at the Million Dollar Theater across from the Bradbury right, Building, and right. so they filmed, those are two film locations mm-hmm, from the movie, mm-hmm. so I got that amazing experience, and, and I remember watching it with all these other, you know, Blade Runner nerds there, and it, and it was just kind of like, oh yeah, I found my people. That's so yeah, amazing. so since 2007, I'm like, this is my favorite movie ever. Wow, yeah. That's so, is this really your favorite movie? Oh yeah. Yeah, That's amazing. I, I'm, I'm so obsessed oh, wow. with it. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll jump to you, Sabrina. Yeah, so my dad was a huge Harrison Ford fan. Um, so I grew up watching Star Wars, obviously Indiana Jones, and then this one as well. And it's I had the same experience where I didn't understand it, but I really liked to watch it. And he had a good time watching it. So it kind of just like made me happy to like spend that time with him. You know, we watched a lot of movies. So yeah, so then when this one came out, we went to go see it in theaters. So it was really cool. Uh, have you yeah. like re- like revisited it or rewatched it yeah. uh, recently? Or? Um, so I've seen two of the cuts. I've seen the final cut and then I think the director's cut mm-hmm. um, so I've seen those two a few times each um, I like the final cut the best I don't know yeah. Yeah. Okay. I, it's I the think best. that's yeah. the one that, okay yeah okay. that's so, the correct answer yeah, so that's, that's <laughs> what I, I was like looking at you I'm like <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah so I've seen that both of those like that one the best and then um, saw 2049 in theaters mm. when that one came out mm-hmm. long one um, yeah. so I tried to revisit it um, today but only got halfway through. I was going to say, yeah, it's a long yeah, one. Yeah. It's a long one. <laughs> I don't think but, there's enough time in the day to, to yeah. watch that movie. Yeah. yeah. Good deal. So, yeah. All right. Yeah. On to you, man. Oh, uh, me? Okay, yeah. so Blade Runner is also one of my favorite movies. Um, I watched it when I just, you know, as you're avert, you know, getting into film, education, a lot of people give you those movies that you have to watch, and Blade Runner is on the top of a lot of people's list. So when I first watched it, I watched the original cut, by the way. Mm-hmm. I saw it on um, cable TV. Wait, the um, theatrical release was the first cut you, you saw? Yes. Oh, that yeah, must have yeah. been weird. It It is weird because you know why? After we watched, I actually watched all of, all the different cuts of this movie. Mm-hmm. And for me personally, I actually liked the theatrical cut a whole lot. Uh, really? I liked okay. the For some reason, the cheesy narration, mm-hmm. I like that. Okay. I, I like it because what I like about Blade Runner is that my favorite genre of all time is noir. Mm-hmm. Is, is mm-hmm. Uh, the old school, I was gonna say, 1930s, yeah. 40s, 50s noir films. I talk about that all the time on this podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, even, you know, my favorite animated film, technically animated film, is Who Framed Roger Rabbit because yeah. it's a noir animation. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the Big Lebowski is my favorite comedy, noir comedy. So it, so Blade Runner has one of, it's always been a science fiction film that I've always loved and re- admired for for that vibe so the, the, the voiceover the narration it feels cheesy is very it's very hokey. noir it is very it, it's very noir and it's funny because it, it it's almost secondhand noir because a lot of noir films actually don't have narration like that mm-hmm. um, a lot of noir films don't have the the weird saxophone that plays like throughout this throughout this movie sometimes a lot of noirs don't have that but that's the perception that we have of the genre mm-hmm. and it kind of plays on that so I'm a big fan of it that's amazing yeah. What do you th- so what's your favorite is that your favorite cut or the final cut is your favorite cut or what well the final cut answers the questions I mean you okay. know the, the final cut does have a definitive answer for everything as to where the theatrical cut you could tell like this wasn't what really Scott and you know the the gang wanted to make, but I I enjoy the charm of the of the, of the theatrical cut. Right. So I guess when I'm if I'm going to go rewatch Blade Runner, I'll, I'll watch it with the narration just to have that vibe. You know but, how how much is is the love that you guys have for this movie? And I'll, and I'll throw you in as well. Mm. Uh, the aesthetic, just purely oh, yeah. on a visual scale, yes. what this movie means 
as far as filmmaking in general, as far as creating an entire genre that I personally have a bigger connection to because I'm a bigger Ghost in the Shell guy than mm-hmm. a Blade Runner guy. Mm-hmm. Um, a direct line of influence. A direct line of influence. And, and I've, like, I consider Ghost in the Shell to be the greatest of all time. I um, think it's it's my favorite anime. There you go, yeah. and it's it's my, it's probably my favorite anime of all time, unless Attack on Titan season four. But we'll get into <laughs> that. But that's like a whole different level. I think Ghost in the Shell um, standalone complex. I don't know. Have you seen standalone complex? No. No one has seen standalone complex. No, I, I want to. I just haven't yet. It's two seasons. It's incredible. It just jumps off what the film is doing, right. and I think it's like I said, the greatest anime of all time. It, so I'm much more of a cyberpunk guy mm-hmm. than I am a Blade Runner guy. But the genre essentially was created just purely off aesthetic mm-hmm. with the high tech inside this kind of street level world right. because this is set in LA and it's kind of like you get that LA vibe with the multicultural aspect of this film that really Scott created so how much of this on a visual scale this this rank in your favorite all time or greatest of all time on a cinematic level i mean i especially because it's interesting. I, I just, uh, in, on Collider Live, in this room, which is so weird to be here at night as well, um, uh, we interviewed the uh, Tarantino documentary director. I saw that. I saw that. Yeah, I saw that. Tara yeah. Wood. And, and uh, I love the documentary because it's a celebration of his films. But mm. he also they also speak, you know, cast and crew that he's worked with his whole life. They, they speak as to the fact that he doesn't, he's not a fan of digital. Um, mm. And uh, so I, maybe it's because of, my age and the movies I grew up with but if you show me a movie that looks like Blade Runner where you didn't use computers mm. that's incredible because yeah. not only that these people build these models and but but it not, it's not just like Sid Med's designs you know the the, mm. be, the beautiful art that he uh, concept art that he came up with right. uh, but to create these sets and these studios and and to watch that movie now whatever however long it's been like decades later and it still looks like it could exist Mm -hmm. and it still looks like you believe that you're in immersed in that world and it's all thing it's all thanks to the cinematography and and the set design and i i think it's one of the most beautiful looking movies especially if you see it on the big screen it's a completely different experience than if you see it on your tv that's the one thing i haven't been able to do i've always wanted to see a blade runner on a on, on, the, on the big screen. Well, RB3, I see it once a year, so you should really? come with me. Oh, yeah, yeah no, I, I most definitely will. <laughs> yeah. yeah, absolutely. But uh, how about you, man? Um, as far as just visually, this this movie yeah. can say a lot just purely mm-hmm. with the volume all the way down, mm-hmm. just purely off aesthetic. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, like you said, the aesthetic, I mean, you, uh, talking about the aesthetic in and of itself, um, the cramped spaces, the overly compacted, I mean, it seems like everybody is stacked on top of each other in terms of like the production, in terms of the extras and in terms of the amount of people in the space, not to mention the actual sets themselves are all complicated and extremely detailed. Mm-hmm. The um, umbrellas, like the um, there's yeah, so much crazy yeah, yeah. And, it, and it establishes so much mythology. You know, really Scott's a really beautiful visual filmmaker because he spent so much time making commercials and music videos before he started making movies. So he has a very bold, futuristic kind of visual aesthetic that we talk about music video directors a lot and commercial directors a lot. They have to have that bold aesthetic to tell stories, Mm -hmm. visual stories in the shortest amount of time. Um, So when you watch a movie like Blade Runner, you get just a lot of little moments of just pure visual spectacle, not really for the expense of like the story, but for the expense of just establishing the world. Mm -hmm. I think to the the one, there's one shot where, uh, where, uh, 
Harrison Ford is walking away with I, I forgot um, who's the character's name, but he's walking away, and the ca- the camera just kind of holds and pans over as we see like those bikers with the little lights um, going through through mm-hmm. the sh- little street alley. Um, is he walking with like Gaff or Leon or? I think I think I think Leon. Yeah, okay, yeah, um, yeah. It's a real brief moment, but yeah. you, it, you just it goes to show how he's just able to leave the camera there and give you those, especially um, you know with. Both Star Wars and really Scott's Alien kind mm-hmm. of is being the first two sci-fi movies to establish like the dirty production design mm-hmm. in, inside of a sci-fi universe. Yes. Um, particularly Alien with the, you know, being in space. But this adds it to a human level, to an L.A. level that's practical and, 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 and adapts to it. So it's, mm-hmm. it's really it's really great. Yeah. 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 Uh, Sabrina. Yeah. Um, when I watched it when I was a kid, I was just kind of really captivated just purely on the visuals because I didn't understand it as well. And um, yeah, the world building, everything, it's just it's so interesting. Like it's something that as you're watching it, you feel like you're like stepping into it mm-hmm. and you really understand a lot of it just by the way it looks, mm-hmm. even if you don't understand the story. So, yeah, 100 percent. And that's kind of where I was going to is, is this idea um, being an anime fan. I've always told you and I've always told anyone the the number one important thing that an anime can do is mm-hmm. world building. Mm-hmm. That's the first thing you have to do inside an anime. That's the biggest pitch you have in a pilot inside an anime and that's the biggest thing Blade Runner does is that it's one of the best world building movies ever to the point that it creates an entire genre and to think that you know we've we have a long history of cinema Mm -hmm. right we've seen sci-fi before this isn't new but we've never seen cyberpunk before and the fact that Ridley Scott like you said kind of created gritty sci-fi with Alien and then followed it up with this movie and make something an entire new genre is just mind-blowing to the fact that he gave this to cinema and now whether it's an anime form whether it's in live action the matrix, form, the matrix, the matrix dark city whether mm-hmm. you know we see so many films that kind of take this style and take this genre and mm-hmm. ran with it to make new films and to make filmmakers that are inspired by this movie and i just think that's incredible yeah. uh, did you get did you guys see the uh, blade runner anime Yes. So, um, I saw the short The short anime? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah yes. So, because mm-hmm. I think it was either right after or before 2049. It was, before it was like yeah. for promotional purposes. Mm-hmm. But I, oh, I did see that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. I thought it was great, but it, what, what's interesting is I actually grew up hating anime because mm. I didn't really see good anime. Like, like everybody in Mexico loved Dragon Ball Z and like Caballeros yeah. del Zodiaco. I hated that shit. I don't know. It was uh, so. I think it's because I hated telenovelas so much mm-hmm. that I was it like, this like is t- yeah. overly dramatic. <laughs> yeah. I'm over these people crying every episode oh. <laughs> I can't handle this shit Super Campeones remember like the soccer one I was like oh this just he's just like jumping on air about to hit the ball and you're like just stand. the whole cartoon is 30 minutes of him thinking about kicking the ball and I cannot do this and I love soccer but anyways <laughs> I didn't like it until I saw Ghost in the Shell yeah. and like the Studio Ghibli movies the Miyazaki movies and I and yeah. I saw Paprika you know like I, I Ooh, saw yes. what, what anime could actually do and mm-hmm. so it was interesting to see Blade, the Blade Runner anime shorts now because now that I can appreciate the genre you're totally right Ace that that you can it looks so beautiful mm-hmm. I was like as, as a lover of this film I thought they did such a fantastic job with, with the way the anime looked I, I loved it so much yeah, yeah. And I, he, I'm sorry I, I didn't mean to cut you off but the anime came 
it from the creator of Cowboy Bebop, oh. who Cowboy the Bebop, director of Cowboy the, Bebop. Yeah, I'm sorry, the director of Cowboy Bebop, who uh, Cowboy he has cited Blade Runner as an inspiration for Cowboy Bebop originally. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of cool seeing that come full circle back around to where he's making a Blade Runner That's short film. Cool. Yeah. Uh, again, this is kind of Blade Runner created cyberpunk, and there's been a lot of cyberpunk movies, but as a anime dude, there's been more cyberpunk animes than movies um, in Hollywood. And and that's kind of the interesting aspect of this movie is the idea that Ridley Scott created a film that not only influenced film directors in Hollywood, but a lot of Japanese animators Mm -hmm. and a lot of Japanese directors like Cowboy Bebop, Ghost in the Shell, Mm -hmm. whatever it is you want to name, there's a ton of cyberpunk anime out there and that I personally love um before we move on to the themes because i feel like that's the biggest part of the movie that's the chunkiest part of the movie we got a lot to talk about we have a lot Mm -hmm. to talk about because i want to move on to the themes because that's probably the the biggest things that i have to say we have to and then you mentioned it already but we have to talk about the score Mm -hmm. the score i can talk about this go for three hours yes (laughs) um the score in this is another example of what nowadays we're seeing that scores and composers are trying to do now with current movies bringing back the synthesizer bringing back this 80s feel just by i still feel and i told you this when we did our review i still listen to the freaking stranger things soundtrack Mm -hmm. every season they release those guys i forget their names but i gave them a shout out last time when we did our stranger things review I have that shit on repeat, man. Mm. I think that score is the best part of Stranger Things. It's so freaking good. Are they called Survive or something? I forget. No, it's two guys. One? It's like a, a, they have like two names. Yeah, um, I don't know. I'll look um, it up. But they're, they're a part of a band too, but I forget the name of the band. Se- season two at the I best I thought score. it was Survive. Um, season two was incredible, but season three was so good too, man. I love it. Um, but either way, the fact that this score and the composer – influence what we're doing now to scores and and i'm a big you're a big score guy i'm a big score guy too i'm a you are as well and and i'm obsessed with pushing the envelope of what a score can do to a movie Mm -hmm. music and film can go hand in hand and do something unique and different and that's why i love ludwig Mm -hmm. i think the guy's like a genius and i think gorenson yeah Mm -hmm. and the fact that he's bringing in like, let's bring in 808s to a score, bro. Right. Let's bring in fucking hip-hop to a score. Like, that shit is what gets me excited. And the fact that that's the innovative kind of stuff that Blade Runner did back in 82. Mm-hmm. And the fact that we're seeing that now, bringing back the synth, bringing back whatever it is, in a ton of major blockbuster movies and smaller movies. What do you guys think about that? Just the impact of this score, because it was so good. I'll start with you, man. Yeah, no, I, I, I love, I love the score. I mean, I think the score is, is a perfect uh, mixture of the jazzy kind mm-hmm. of uh, melancholy, yeah, yeah, the 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 noir kind mm-hmm. of set background music mixed with the synthesizers to give it like that extra sci-fi feel and vibe to it. Um, I think it's the perfect blend. I, I honestly, I think, um, and uh, you know. Like we talked about, like I just said, really Scott being from music videos, he has a good ear for detecting what right score pieces are set in the right places because it's, as important as score is, also the places without score where it means the most. And the whole moment leading up to the ending with the tears in the rain scene, mm-hmm. and right when the music comes in at right at the perfect moment towards the end of that, 
you know, I heard it was mostly improvised um, monologue. Yeah, um, uh, Rudger Hauer actually changed the script that he had gotten. Mm-hmm. So that mm-hmm. part, and he, and I guess apparently that when they shot that scene, mm-hmm. that the entire crew started crying. Really? Because yeah. it was so impactful to them. Ooh. And I'm like, yeah, that makes sense because I cry every freaking time I see Exactly, that, exactly. Know? But then the, the use of the music in that scene, like the way it comes in on just the perfect note. And even, you know, um, even cutting to the slow motion doves as they fly off, uh, <laughs> just to give it that extra level of like um, grandi- grandiose uh, mm-hmm. presentation is, is, is amazing to me. So uh, off the I top, it. I forget the name of the composer. Do you guys uh, Vangelis? There you go. Yeah. Oh, I, I thought I was like a play runner. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. We I guess we called him Bangelis in Yeah. No, I I I think he's a genius, and mm. it's 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 completely true. Which is why it's my favorite score because it's so groundbreaking. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we have bands from, like, the 70s, 80s, like, Kraftwerk, you know, like, like, like bands that were uh, kind of started this whole synth craze and probably bands like Daft Punk, who have mm. also composed mm. great scores for Tron Legacy, like, yeah. that, that definitely have had the influence of these older bands. But I feel like, you know, Vangelis did something crazy with this because most scores back in the day, like, it's we all agreed that Star Wars is not the movie that it is without John Williams' score. Like, yeah. like John Williams is a genius. Like, there's so many composers that bring a completely different, uh, like, a level. a level to the movie that elevate the movie, right? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Vangelis did th- not only did this with Blade Runner, but he did it in a way where he didn't have a bunch of different, like, lay motifs or, or very, mm-hmm. uh, uh, what's it called, like, themes right that we can all hum right like it's not very radio friendly if you if you put on the Blade Runner score and but I think that that's what makes it sci-fi yeah that's what makes like like and and not only that not only the instruments that he used but he also he mixed synthesizers with world music instruments and with uh some of the the choral stuff that you hear like you hear women singing Mm -hmm. uh that's that totally transports you to thinking yeah this is L.A. But it's an alternate reality that I don't that I don't belong to, but I believe that it exists. Right. And another thing that I think is genius in the movie is that there's a scene, there's several scenes where this happens, but one of them is um, when when Deckard and Rachel are in his apartment, and that whole weird like rapey scene happens. Uh-huh. You know, uh-huh. um, they play my favorite track from the from the score, which is the love theme. Yes. And that's where you hear the saxophone and uh, the beautiful piano. Mm. But at the same time, there's a scene where Rachel's actually playing the piano, right? Mm. And so I thought it was really crazy that they were able to play, to have her play the piano at the same time that you hear the score. Mm. That's not very easy to do. Mm. So I was I I was immediately impressed by by things like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. yeah as, as you know, going back to that, you know, it's very with the whole idea of themes and lay motifs. Like it's very easy to have a traditional classical Hollywood interpretation of, of a score and composition. But because Vangelis wasn't like a composer, you know, he was a regular musician, mm-hmm. if I'm not mistaken. Um, but he didn't compose a lot of films. Mm-hmm. But you could tell that that angle of originality, that unconventional, that. Un, being unbound to the conventions of being a traditional composer really allow for the freedom and creativity for this. Right. And it's this funny that thing. I think he won an Oscar for Chariots of Fire, which yeah. is a very like melodic, easy to remember yeah. theme. You dun, know, dun, 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 dun. Yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah, it's been yeah. used in like Friends, right? It's yeah. been used in every single thing out there, pop culture wise. But Blade Runner to me is just on another level. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think? How do you think scores can 
influence a movie and impact your emotions on a movie, Sabrina? Um, well, definitely there's a ton of examples of really good ones, like even with just Marriage Story, mm. the way they did the score in that one throughout, like it's mm. oh, so good. It just captures your emotions so well. Um, but with something like this, um, I think it just kind of adds to the world building again. Yes. Where you feel that like dystopian, like futuristic, just by the way it sounds, you're in. Like the visuals, the sound together, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Can, can I say something? One of the things the score does, and, and it adds to the entire narrative of this movie, is the fact that it's very it's a very contemplative score, if mm -hmm. that makes sense. It's a, it, it feels like you're in this... Like you could meditate to exactly. it? Exactly. Yeah. Like you can think on it, mm -hmm. meditate on it, and that leads me to... The 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 pacing of this oh, look movie. At, look at the transition. Guys. I mean, no, the, the... the fact that this movie is notoriously, and I mean notoriously, not liked by some mm -hmm. that feel like it's too slow, mm -hmm. too contemplative, too melancholy, too like, let's pick things up, let's get mm -hmm. things moving. It's so perfect. And that's not what Ridley <laughs> Scott wanted. He wanted to have a much more thinking piece kind of world building slow world building like he's opening up this world piece by piece rather than just an explosion an action scene and some speeder chase he really wanted you to feel that what do you guys feel like re-watching this movie and how do you guys feel that's a, if that's a fair criticism when it comes to this movie when it comes to the first Blade Runner because obviously mm -hmm. we'll get to 2049 right. of the pacing not being the most exciting thing in the world I mean, it's it's interesting you bring that up because I people always say, oh, like we've had callers uh, on Caller Live be like, oh, like what's a movie that you know that that you love that when you show it to people they hate, it? and I'm like, my favorite movie, right. <laughs> you know, people just fall asleep, they mm. think it's boring, they think it's too slow, they don't think anything's happening, but I think the pace specifically of the movie makes you believe that that in the reality of the world, right? Mm. Like like the fact that just that beautiful shot of Tyrell's, uh, you know home or office or whatever right. where where you first meet Rachel and and Deckard comes in and you have this like crazy uh, big window with mm -hmm. with the Tyrell Corporation in the background and then you see the owl like the whole like I feel like Ridley was thinking about all these things and being like let's it's kind of like reading uh, Tolkien right yeah. it's like it's all it's so descriptive visually but that's what makes you immer immerse yourself in the world mm. yeah yeah no I yeah I think yeah the the details of like you said the visual storytelling from the production design to the com composition of these elaborate shots showing you these small people in, the, in this gigantic world. Um, I think that's a big part of why, you know, usually when you have shots that are um, bigger or longer or that last, you know, that are less cutty right. um, and even just bigger in terms of composition, bigger in frame, um, audiences receive that as slower pacing because it's not as energetic as like a moving action shot or something like that. Um, but I think what's beautiful about this movie is that it, you know, to me, I don't. I, for one, I don't think it feels slow for me personally. No. But I guess I just. I guess I connect a lot more to the material. Sure. But also, too, um, it moves pretty much at the same pace as like any other uh, old school noir detective movie, mm -hmm. too. Like it does. You know, uh, the structure is quite loose and kind of fast. I mean, we there's you know we follow entire sub stories and subplots of characters uh, in Blade Runner who. Uh, Really, you know, essentially doesn't add up to much. I mean, uh, was that Phoebe? Am I saying Phoebe's or Cakes or one of um, the the character who is killed by uh, Daryl Hannah? Um, 
Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, by by Pris. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah Sebastian? Yeah. Sebastian, yeah, yeah. We, 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 you talk about the, the guy that makes, that helps make the replicants? Um... Because yeah. she doesn't kill Sebastian. Oh no, nah. I'm, I'm Sebastian's the one that like she finds outside yeah. the movie theater and goes into the Bradbury Building, the, that's apart- it, the that's apartment. It. Yeah, that's yeah. it. That's it. Yeah, it, it, it's, we follow storylines that at, at in the moment doesn't really seem like it's adding up to much, mm-hmm. but it's to emphasize the greater themes that the movie's communicating. Right. Um. So to me, it, it just goes to show, like it, you know, it's, it's a very it's not a conventional structure. It's not a convinced, conventional pace, but I think it adds to the level of suspense and the, and the mystery and, behind this whole story. And the level of like believing that it's a sci-fi world. Like that's yeah. that's what it is. That that's what it, it is to me. And like re- really quick to to add to that, I also feel like it's it's. I don't think the pace is slow to me, uh-huh. but that's because just the the beginning shots of. Uh, Rick and Gaff in the mm-hmm. spinner and yeah. just like, you know, driving or flying through L.A. and all those beautiful mm-hmm. shots that are clearly Attack of the Clones ripped off to piss all of, all the people off that, that, <laughs> love, that love the prequels and know I hate them. Um, or homage. Yeah. <laughs> sure. Yes. <laughs> sorry, guys. Uh, but uh, not sorry. No, but but. There's nothing going on in those things except, uh, if, except what you're seeing with your eyes and what you're hearing, mm-hmm. score wise, right? There's no like Captain America throwing a pun at like Iron Man, right? And I think that's why people get bored. Well, I think that's what it is because you're just you're just watching and hearing something, but there's no dialogue happening. And, and to come back to that, to be fair, this isn't that wasn't a popular movie, man. This didn't make a lot of money. Yeah. And, and really, people Scott didn't understand it. notoriously has always talked about this movie and how it's like he's like, yeah, everyone likes it now, but man, this thing. People killed me for this shit. Like they went at him because he basically burned through cash because he used, I mean, the budget wasn't small. And the fact that this movie is is lived on through this weird kind of film lover community, mm-hmm. and yet people who go back and rewatch it, most people, obviously, like generations now, don't come back and say, oh, yeah, that was incredible. They go back and be like, well, I don't know what the hype is about. Most people still don't. What, what do you think that is? They, they still don't connect to this movie in, in a way that they connect to other older movies, maybe like The Shining, for right. example. Because going back and rewatching The Shining or going back and rewatching other movies that are older, classic, legendary movies, and people are like, yo, that shit was dope, versus Blade Runner, and they're like, man, this is slow, this sucks. Like, they don't feel that connection that other communities or film lover communities have to it. I, I can I yeah. can I what do you think that, that is? really quick I think it's what I first said about why I ended up loving this movie mm. and I think it's because people don't understand they they think that Rick Deckard's the hero and mm. he's he's a he's not a great person mm. he's depressed the whole time right? right like it's not somebody that you root for so they don't know who to relate to and they yeah. and they don't understand that or they, or maybe they're not empathizing with uh, Roy and Pris and all the replicants that mm. all they're asking for is more life freedom yeah. right so so if if you if you relate to them, if you relate to these characters, you understand. Yeah, it fucking sucks. Like we're already pissed that we're gonna die. Mm-hmm. Hopefully at like ninety, right? Yeah, yeah. Let alone imagine. Oh, you're created now and you're only living four years. I'd be pissed. Right, <laughs> you know right, what I mean? Yeah, right, right, so right. maybe it's that. Yeah, and, and and can I can I go off that and say that's where this movie starts. Mm-hmm. Finally, we get that opening text in opening crawl, which essentially says <clears throat> early twenty first century. 
obviously 2019. Shout out to 2019. Yeah. Um, November. Yeah, this, this is where Yeah, I was going to say, perfect, perfect time. It's never first. happening again. We're I know. literally living in Blade Runner month. That's yeah. crazy. But basically, the idea of the creation of these beings, these replicants, that ne- the Nexus, Nexus 6... Um, We're Mexus 6. Oh, there you go. (laughs) (laughs) Of course we are. That's good. Um, But it's this idea that the reason why they're created in the first place, and this goes back to a lot of media. A lot of media does this, and obviously modern media does this, and current media does this. The idea of creating a being, whether it's androids, whether it's clones, Mm -hmm. whatever kind of being, in order for us, for humanity, to kind of wash their hands clean of dehumanizing mm-hmm. because humanity is, is so obsessed with superiority mm-hmm. in class, in life, in whatever it is that they want to bring down whatever they can. And most of the time it's on race, right? They usually close on on a race and say, this race is superior to us. Therefore, we must suppress it. Now, in this world, they're saying we've created a new race mm-hmm. of beings uh-huh. so that we can suppress because literally the opening text says these replicants are used for slave labor, mm-hmm. uh, military yeah. operations, yep. and like off-world exploration where they're probably going to die right. because the humans don't want to do that. And they can say, we're not killing people. We're just killing robots. Right. And it's that idea of robots are actually people, too. Yeah. And we're still... What's the meaning of life? Like, how can you... Exactly. Or what makes somebody or something human? What mm-hmm. makes them human? And the fact that we're washing our hands clean of killing off these beings instead of realizing that they're actually human beings and we're still the same perverted, destructive race that we've always have been, mm-hmm. repeating the same mistakes and using scapegoats and excuses to kind of use these people as slaves and military operations and explorers right. that are just probably going to get blown Pleasure away. Models, Pleasure like models. Pleasure models. That's kind of the idea and that's kind of the world that they've created. And obviously we see a ton of that now with Westworld. Mm-hmm. With, I mean, obviously, all the Ridley Scott content we see as well. Ex Machina. Ex Machina. But but it's this idea of humanity wanting to suppress other people and wanting to rise above in class. Because at the end of the day, this movie, without being so on the nose, is about class. And it's about class structure. And it's about hierarchy. And it's about how the people at the top... Or always going to find a way. Literally at the top of a pyramid. No, I think that's a really pretty looking pyramid. Yeah, and I was going to say that's it's it's beautiful, and the way they do it is really smart because you see the street level with Deckard, and you see what it looks like, Mm -hmm. and you're like, damn, that's crazy. Mm -hmm. And you see the pristine, and you see the beautiful. How they find ways to still close up their walls, to wash their hands clean, and suppress. Whatever creature, being, person, race that they can find, mm-hmm. that is kind of the overlying theme inside this sci-fi world, and I think that's completely fascinating. Yeah, and I think that's the that's the you're you're right that that's the theme as to like what the world is, but but I think also to add to that are the philosophical themes that I love so much about mm. this movie, and then you do see like Roy Batty himself is you know the smartest replicant they've created right like he's on another level and and i think and him and tyrell have a conversation about how he's basically like he he i forget what exactly the line is but tyrell tells him that like you've you know you've been created and you're you've done amazing things because of who you are and and roy's not satisfied with that right and which i feel like is a very he wants more life 
right? That's what he wants, and it's it that we can all relate to that, right? Mm-hmm. Regardless of our class, right? Regardless of where we are in the world, we all are constantly, whether we like it or not, dealing with the fact that we're mortal, mm-hmm. right? And I think that that's something that that th- that's why this movie, that's why I'm so obsessed with it, because you can understand that. All the characters are dealing with that. And even Gaff at the end, you know, when he's talking to, to Rick about uh, Rachel, he's like, mm-hmm. what's that great line where he's like, it's too bad she won't live. But then again, who does? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, like yeah. that's 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 a huge thing to add to the way that humans want to control other humans. Yeah. But that's because we can't control our own mortality. Yeah. Right. And that, sorry, go ahead. Oh, no. Well, that's something I wanted to add. Like when they use the term retiring mm-hmm. with that mortality, it's it's interesting that they use that rather than like killing. Yeah, I don't know. It's yeah. like almost, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it goes back to the idea of like them kind of washing their hands. Like we're not yeah. really killing. Right. It's not killing if they're not human. Mm-hmm. And that idea of like being being a, a morally superior person because as 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 you rise up in this class structure the rich always find a way to wash their hands in this high brow moral way mm-hmm. where they want to be rich and powerful and step on everyone but they don't want to be like oh, I don't want to be seen to step on everyone right. I still want to find a way to seem like I'm giving and I'm moral and that's another way to do it it's this world that we live in yeah, I mean, yeah, it's, yeah, like you said, it's all about you know the idea of class and structure, and particularly how we see even at the bottom level, um, you know, even while the replicants are still the lowest, you know, seemingly of the of this society, we still see the ground level where Rick, you know, where Rick Decker's like interacting with, surrounded by a lot of Chinese people um, and a very Chinese influenced Los Angeles mm-hmm. um, that that is implying this sort of like. Um, this sort of difference, uh, another hierarchy in that class, right? Even though there's a there's a bottom tier of mm-hmm. the of the of the replicants, there is still bottom tiers of human life too, and there's mm-hmm. still tiers that are building on top of on top of <coughs> uh, top of human society too. So it's still the same problems we're dealing with. It's just with the added issue of uh, morality and artificial intelligence, and morality and giving uh, giving. Uh, creating life yeah and i think you know i obviously i know you're a big religious guy ace and um you know this movie um and along with all of really scott's filmography deals a lot with the idea of religion and creation and the creator who creates you like the god concept basically. yeah exactly exactly and i feel like this movie dives so deep into that that that's why that's why i really think the whole class hierarchy structure really derives from is that um, it's really, really Scott's questioning of mm-hmm. what is what is the hierarchy? Who is our creator? Um, and if, and with rich people, be with the super high wealthy class being the creator of these robots, mm-hmm. they're reasserting their god complex and taking that life mm-hmm. away from them is another reassertion of that. It, which is another sorry, which, no. which is really quick. Which is another. Uh, it's basically what I was talking about earlier. Where it's like it's another form of people thinking that they have some form of control. And uh, we saw really Scott doing. You know, we we've seen him do it in other movies, obviously, like Prometheus, Prometheus right? Like that's that's something that. Um, like finding or seeking who our creators are, right? Like Roy mm. goes to Tyrell, right? But like Tyrell, he has all this power. He has uh, the prestige or whatever to 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 do these things. And these people 
kind of become, I don't know if mad with power, mm-hmm. but but then that's why they end up doing crazy things like that because they feel like, oh yeah, this is, it, it's it, they don't see themselves as human anymore. They see themselves as, like you said, like the God complex. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's exactly yeah. who Tyrell is. And yeah. we see that, I was going to say that, we, uh, this is coming back from Wayland, right? Mm-hmm. Back in Alien. And Alien kind of started this concept of the idea of in the future, who is king, who is God? And it's corporations. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's what it is. Whether it's the Whaling Corporation, Whaling Yutani, or the Terrell Corporation. Mickey Mouse. It's, in a hundred years, give it, well, maybe mm. 10 years. Yeah, um, <laughs> but either way, it's this idea that corporations have this, their own structure, their own morality, their own idea of what the rules that they live by is. And it's them deciding who is allowed to do whatever it is they want to do. And it's funny because this movie kind of builds off that in a very organic visual way. Mm -hmm. And that's the ads. The hologram ads is kind of the biggest gift that yeah. this movie has given us given us because we see that obviously minority report which is another Philip K Dick Philip uh, K Dick cyberpunk kind of yeah. adaptation and it's that idea of like in a world 50 years from now or now because this is taking place now the world is going to be consumed mm-hmm. with advertisements and ads and and just trying to sell you whatever it is they're trying to sell you. I mean, our our anytime we're surfing the internet, it's like by Instagram. This, by this. I used like, to work for Google, man. Like that's a, yeah. that was our, that was my job. Literally, it's all about selling <laughs> yeah. ads. That's how people make money nowadays. Yeah. And it's that idea of now, what is a big topic right now in Congress? Data, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Private data information. Mining. Data how can, mining. How, how can I speak on the phone with somebody about something I see an Instagram ad for two minutes later? Exactly. What's that? Stuff like that. It, and, and it's one of those things where where that's an actual thing because. The reason why people are trying to protect their privacy and their information and their data isn't because of some weird like government conspiracy to like I don't know clone them or something. It's because yeah, of ads. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah. It's well, it's yeah. because of ads. Yeah. It's because targeted ads are the biggest commodity in the world right now, and that's that comes man that comes from really Scott bro. I mean he said it in in, in Blender, which I think is so cool. The fact that this is the world that we're living in in a, in a much more specific manner, obviously mm-hmm. now than this overt manner in a visual way in Blade Runner, but I just find that to be fascinating especially, because Especially somebody that, who comes from making ass, who made commercials, who, who made over 3,000 commercials. Oh, yeah, Scott. 100%. Really, Scott. And yeah. it's one of that, those ideas of, like, this is the world that we're going to live in. And and also, to add to that, it's it's this thing, I mean, consumerism in general, right? Yeah. Like, like, that's kind of how uh, the lower classes I think become uh, are controlled, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I it, it's kind of crazy to think about. That's why I love all of these like sort of dystopian stories because mm-hmm. um, I am that type of person that like never liked shopping and mm-hmm. never, you know, never was into. Oh, I got to get the latest iPhone. Like, I just it's just things to me. Right. But the constant advertising, the constant marketing is everywhere. Mm-hmm. That it's like. A family that's that's barely supporting themselves has to have the latest gadget, yeah. right? And that's that's mm-hmm. crazy. But that's that's this. I don't know if it's intentional intentional manipulation. I don't know if it. I don't know if it's. I'm I'm being too like conspiracy theorist uh, here. It's very intentional. But it, very but it intentional. is a way to control the human race, right? Mm-hmm. And and to be like, oh, let's distract you with you know this shiny thing, so you don't think about the fact that you know your healthcare sucks, or yes. you know what I mean. Like yeah. that's and that's. That's been the sto- that's been most sci-fi stories. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Um, I, I want to jump to um, a little bit more of this themes in this, in the movie, uh, talking about humanity and talking about I mean, that's kind of the central theme too. Is like what makes you a human? 
-hmm. What is a soul? And obviously Ghost on the Show gets into that a little bit more. And this you know, movie really dives into memories and the idea, and obviously 2049 does as well, but it's the idea of having memories and, and, and being an actual being and, and, and living. What does that mean? And, and what constitutes yourself as being a human being and being mm -hmm. a person? What do you guys, I know that's a very deep, profound question. No, no, that's why, literally why I love this movie. But that's what, exactly. Mm -hmm. Tell me a little bit more about that. So, the biggest, I think, human character development in the movie is Roy Batty, mm -hmm. because um, at first you're like, this is the Rudger Hauer is at first really terrifying, right? Like he's right. amazing in this movie, and uh, and he here you you think when you first see him, oh, this is the replicant that Deckard has to find, and he's therefore he is the villain in the story. Mm -hmm. But that whole end scene where he's chasing him in the in the in the Bradbury Building, and and he he ends up. Uh, not killing him, right? Like mm -hmm. he 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 doesn't spoilers. He doesn't let go of him, and he actually saves him and picks him up. Right. And I feel like that's when Roy realized that's what it is to be human, mm -hmm. right? Like like I'm I'm fighting so much for my life, and I and I want to to continue living, and I'm pissed off that I only have this lifespan. Yeah. But but in order to really be human, I have to show some form of compassion or kindness to the other. Yeah. And I feel like that's that's in 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 that moment he teaches Deckard. You know that maybe maybe Deckard is actually you see it in his in Harrison Ford's face when Roy is giving him that monologue. Mm -hmm. uh, Rick's character actually looks kind of shocked, and I think that's him realizing I'm an asshole, right? right? That's him realizing this replicant that I'm supposed to hunt down is more human than all of us who are trying to kill other replicants, right? right? Like that's the biggest uh, I think uh, point of the whole of the whole movie. Like the reveal, yeah, right? Because yeah. that is what makes us human, mm -hmm. right? Like and 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 also to touch on Rachel because she's such a uh, relevant character to the story as well because she, imagine you know having all these memories in your hard drive right. and then being told that they're not real mm -hmm. I mean that's that's gotta be horrifying mm -hmm. right I'm still waiting for that I'm like who's gonna tell me this is like the Truman show or something <laughs> right, right? Right, right and so but so so that's another thing too where it's like do do memories do 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 things that happen to you in life that you appreciate, that's what makes you human? Or is it how you treat others, right? There's all of these mm. different things because she also was a very kind replicant, right? She mm. was a kind person no matter what. And I don't know if that's because of the memories that were inst installed in her mm. or if it's just because of who, whatever her genetic makeup was, right? Yeah. Like that's that's what's fascinating about it too. It's like, can you choose as a replicant or a human to be choice, a good right? person, right? right. And, Roy, and Roy chose that. Yeah. Roy chose to Roy chose to not kill Deckard. And, and that's the idea of, of, of what makes us human is, is our choices, is exactly. our decisions. That That's the, the greatest gift that God gave to mankind is free will, right? right. It's yeah. the idea of choosing, yeah. choosing who you are as an identity. Mm. And, and I love that. And, and can we just jump straight to that speech? The fact that he saved him. I always say he saved him so he can give him that damn speech. He's like, bro, I got a good speech. Hold yeah. up. Hold <laughs> up. I'm going to put you right back here. Yeah. Um, and that speech is incredible. And the oh. reason why it's incredible. That's the one thing, a, dial, a piece of dialogue in a movie that I remember. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and part of it is because of what he says. And that's uh, this is what I find to be so fascinating is that idea of we're using these beings to just be like cannon fodder, mm -hmm. like straight up just toss them out into the world and see what we find. And, and, what we're, and in reality, what they're finding is something obviously horrific, mm -hmm. but at the same time kind of fucking incredible. Mm -hmm. And the fact that Roy Batty is like, bro, I've seen fucking spaceships 
zoom out of the sky. Like, you haven't seen the shit I've seen. I've seen things and, you people wouldn't believe. And it's one of those things where it's like, you imagine being a human being and missing out on that shit. Like, part of it is, like, horrific. You're like, fuck, that sucks, man. But at the same time, you're like, man, I want to see those shit, too. Like, space, sp- yeah. space exploration is part of what the Nexus 6 does. And it's that idea of, like, living is actually what Roy Batty has been doing this whole time, that, yeah, that's where what, those yeah. people on Earth have been just dying and rotting. That's what I was going to say. Attack Jeb's on fire on the shoulder of Ryan. Yeah, yeah that's, yeah, that's, that's I exactly it. I watch sea beams. Sorry. No, give, give, it, give, it, give us that mama. Because yeah. you're, you're right, because it's brilliant, because it shows that replicants are actually living more life yeah. because, because in of... their shorter lifespan, their shorter they're living way than, more than humans on Earth. And because, yeah, because the corporations of keeping the humans on Earth down to the levels yeah. of like the Rick Deckers and the... And the, um, all of the all of the people in that in the Los Angeles area. Totally, and and Rick is just kind of depressed in his apartment, yeah, like not yeah. doing anything, not living his life, sure. even though he's given being given the gift of living, you know, way longer, like for decades, hopefully. And he's just he's not doing anything with yeah. it. And a lot of us are guilty of that. Absolutely, and and one of the things that this movie does so well, and a lot of sci-fi does this. Obviously, uh, we saw Lita Battle Angel do this as well. It's this idea of creating these androids specifically for certain purposes. And the purpose of Roy Batty is he's a military leader. Mm-hmm. Like, that's the first thing he is. And the irony, and, and obviously really Scott does this in a lot of his movies, pretty much all his movies, and that's why maybe I'm just the biggest Alien fan, even current Alien movies, um, because he takes those concepts and he says, what happens when someone who plays God and their creation turns on them. Mm-hmm. What happens when you make the perfect military weapon, Roy Batty, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden he's like, fuck you, bro, and he comes right back at you. You're just like, yo, and that's obviously what happens to Terrell. Mm-hmm. He gets his freaking brain squashed in and his eyes gouged out. Great yeah, great scene. And, great and it's one of those ideas of like, the, my creation is coming back to bite me in the ass, and that idea, obviously Westworld is another example that literally does this last season. That kind of concept is so cool mm-hmm. because it's it's the comeuppance, right? It's it's the idea of like you get what you deserve, you're getting justice. This is the justice you got. You playing God has now led you to having this destruction. And that's something that Homeboy did in Jurassic Park, the book, the novel. Mm-hmm. The idea of him playing God and him realizing like, oh shit, now I'm getting eaten by these dinosaurs yeah. because I try to commodify it and make money off of this shit. And me playing God is all of a sudden me getting my ass eaten in Jurassic Park. You Should know. have stuck to Pirates of the Caribbean. There you go. And it's, <laughs> like, like Malcolm. And that yeah. same guy yeah. wrote Westworld. And it's, right. that, it's the same. Exa- yeah. That's his name, Michael Crichton. And it's that same concept of like man plays God and demons come out. And that's why, like Women you said. Women inherits the earth. There you go. <laughs> but it's that idea of like what you said, right? Where Ridley Scott is obsessed with this idea of God and man. And I, that's something that I'm obsessed with, too. And the idea of who is Satan, who is Lucifer, who is the devil, who is demons. It's it's this idea of creation kind of coming back to, to God right. in this well, haunting form. Not only that, I think moreover, I think what, you know, a lot of people who aren't pers- – uh, religious can also sure. read into this movie and say that um, the deeper religious, you know, because I read a lot of r- religious interpretations of this movie, the deeper uh, secular interpretation of this is that, um, you know, as we, uh, as you know, a lot of times, let me backtrack a little bit. Um, a lot of times, uh, a lot of secular people argue that Christianity, the belief in the heaven and the hell is 
less about an actual physical afterlife, but more about the memory that you leave in somebody's mind. So you're mm-hmm. going to heaven, you're ascending upwards because you, um, because, because, because you left a good memory in people's mind. People remember you as a good person. And you go to hell in people's minds because you are a bad person and people want to remember you rotting and burning in fire. Um, so then this movie kind of— pl- I grew up Catholic, so I actually was taught that you will burn in hell. Yeah, yeah. No, 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 I'm, I'm, no, 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 I'm Christian too, though, but I'm Christian yeah, I too. It. So I, 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 you know, that's that's an interpretation that I, you know, whatever. Yeah. But I'm just saying, so, but from a secular perspective, that's how they look at it. So if you look at Blade Runner from that angle, from like a more secular angle, it's about how you, you going back to the idea of choice, you can choose to leave a good legacy. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. if, if, if you're a human, if you're a replicant, it doesn't even matter. It's why the whole debate of whether or not uh, Rick Decker is a replicant or not, honestly, is not really a question that I want to see answered or... not, let's be clear. They do answer that question. I was going to say, they kind of answer it. In, yeah. in, in, the in the final cut. cut. Yeah, yeah, they answer in the final cut. But um, but the, the the idea that it doesn't matter if you're actually born a human or exactly. you absorb life. Um, sure. It's the memories that you leave. It's the impact that you make on the world right. that's more important. Yeah, and that's that's Roy Batty's character, right? And and, yeah. and, and what's interesting is, too, is because uh, the, the religion thing is interesting because I, I grew up religious and I'm no longer religious. Uh-huh. But I've, I I went from, like, Catholic to Christian to trying all these religions to going, like, the really nihilistic, atheist, asshole route of, like, I'm right and you guys don't know anything who are religious. And now mm-hmm. I'm just, like, a goth hippie. I'm just, like, I don't know what's real. Yeah. But yeah. What, I, what I do think— is is, you know, I don't think you need religion to be a good moral person, yes. right? I think that whatever you, uh, you know, whether you're uh, into philosophy, like whatever you put your faith in, faith into to continue surviving and and hopefully showing uh, kindness and compassion to others, I think is what's important. But what's interesting that we're talking about, like God, whether it's God or the universe or whatever created us, and we're seeing all these themes in in, in these movies. It's it's kind of crazy to also think how we've evolved as a human race and and. And that whole conflict that that you were talking about earlier of like, okay, well, now we created birth control. So Mm -hmm. like so we can just, you know, have sex without procreating. Right. Like we created medicine. We created all these things that that are kind of uh, fighting whatever our origin was. Mm -hmm. You know that like it's not like we used to die and and the human race used to not live as long as and mm. and we're probably going to prolong life as we continue unless you know some crazy mad max apocalypse happens right? right so that's also fascinating to think about that and how this movie from like the 1980s touches on those topics sure. so well right, right. absolutely and, and there's still an interpretation to be said and obviously maybe because i lean towards the religious route of Roy Batty kind of amplifying that Christ figure mm-hmm. of him being the one where he's not not only not the enemy, everyone else, Earth is hell, and he's trying to escape hell, mm-hmm. and he's trying to lead a revolution, right. saving his people, which is the Nexus Six, which is these android beings, and lead them out of you know destruction into a better life, into a better world, into actually being humans against the oppressive human corporations and human life and human existence. Human dictators. Human dictators who Mm -hmm. who are putting this on them. And that idea of him actually representing this revolutionary religious figure because he's leading his people towards Mm -hmm. freedom and towards life and towards something that every human being wants and he's not allowed to have and he feels like that's not right. And that's literally and I mean literally the conception of Christ Mm -hmm. and how Christ in the Bible Mm -hmm 
came turn and, and in real life came during these political times of people being oppressed and and and, and how fighting oppression is always going to be the the Christ-like way in my opinion because that's what true Christianity is and what true uh, what truly Christ represents is the idea of fighting against an oppressive government, an oppressive being, a, a, a foot that's trying to step on you and say you're a, you're a, a less being, you're an inferior being, mm-hmm. and that's what Roy Batty's fighting against. That's and I a, just was like, that's deep, man. So that's like you're, what you're saying is Jesus is not a capitalist? <laughs> no, absolutely <laughs> not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I have some no, hot no, takes. Yeah. No, no, no. And that's what the, and again, I you think know, fighting it, oppression is the biggest theme of yeah. of. Ridley Scott's movies, whether it's Gladiator, whether it's Alien, whether it's mm-hmm. Prometheus, whether right. it's I think that to me is the biggest example of what a human is. A right. human is showing kindness, showing love, not just to the people that look like me and the mm-hmm. people that I deem to be human, right. but people that I can have to start to question like they're human too. Right. I have to realize like it's not just my race, my identity, my world, my religion. My religion. Yeah. It's everyone. And yeah. that includes people like the Nexus 6 and Roy Batty and that's the metaphor that is used a lot in Mm sci-fi of using these other beings for examples of different types of beings in this world that we identify as our own and we say me and my own and that's it Mm -hmm. where in reality if we start to expand our horizons we start to realize that is life that is love that is true you know spiritualness whatever you want to call it is finding that connection with other people. That is true life. Right. And it's and it's finding it's it's that interesting and I, I touched upon it earlier of like, yes, I was super nihilistic and like kind of pessimistic about life and being like it's pointless. Now that now that I'm no longer a believer in a like a religion, I lost I lost my faith I just lost my faith in general in believing anything, right? Mm. And so I feel like eventually I I remember that I grew up on Mr. Rogers and hey. I'm just gonna make my own uh goal in life is gonna be to do this, right? To be a good person. No matter matter mm-hmm. what's real out there no matter how i end up mm-hmm. but um it's it's kind of trying to figure out how to live in peace together because mm-hmm. we're all stuck here with each other right mm-hmm. and it's interesting I, the first uh character i thought of when you were t- when you were talking about like Roy Batty and and kind of trying to save his people was a uh, magneto mm-hmm. right because that's another character that i grew up fascinated with Me too. I love where him. he's my favorite Marvel villain. Yeah, same. And so, uh, so he, it's it's interesting that we have all these kind of antagonistic characters, but they're all most of them are just trying to survive. And and whether they 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 make choices <coughs> and they do it in in the way that's not the moral way, but that's usually their goal is to survive themselves and to have their people survive. Absolutely, right? and that's yeah. what's great about art is the idea of creating metaphors and creating things that that uh, you know look like our world and look like our life and we start to to extend those thoughts and say wait a minute that's happening now and that's happening around my life right now mm-hmm. revolution uh you know fighting against oppression right. fighting against dictatorship fighting against you know racism fighting against all this kind of stuff is the kind of world that we should want to promote mm-hmm. we should want to promote that stuff because that's what you know humanity should be about and that's the kind of stuff that blade runner that comic books whatever it is whatever art medium you want to consume can represent absolutely sabrina what are your thoughts on religion i'm talking (laughs) (laughs) no not necessarily religion i'm not talking about religion do you believe in god sabrina (laughs) (laughs) Um, just about like the idea of everything that he's putting into this movie what do you think of that 
I think he just sends a really beautiful message in this film, and I think that's something that we take away from all of that with mm-hmm. the humanity, with treating others with like kindness. Not it doesn't matter what like level you're on because we see it from this other point of view. We're obviously like an objective point of view where we're seeing them on the same level. So that's Mm -hmm. why where we grow up and we see Harrison Ford as like the hero. Mm -hmm. And then we later on, we're seeing this other side and then we're caught between this kind of like conflict of like Mm -hmm. who is actually really right. Right. You know? Um, So I think coming out of that, um, I don't know. It's a really important message. I think it's a really special, a special part of the film. Yes. Saying so much without beating it over our heads. Sure. Which is a, a term we've been talking about yes. a lot. Yeah. But yeah. So. Absolutely. Yeah. I, and unlike, uh, really quick, and unlike other sci-fi movies, like one of my other favorite sci-fi movies, the classic uh, 2001, Space Odyssey. Yeah. Uh, you know, they created the machine, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, HAL 9000. And obviously he became, or he or it, or she or whatever, mm-hmm. became a threat. Mm-hmm. And that's why eventually, you know, uh, Dave destroys it. Right. Mm-hmm. But that's a compl- that's a different concept of, of like, OK, this whatever I've created is actually might is dangerous to me and might end my life. Right. So that's another concept there where you're right. Like a lot of I'm sure Rick and, and the other or, or Deckard or the other Blade Runners or, or cops, like some of them don't care and don't respect any replicant life. But some of them are also worried that they might come after them. Right. So yeah. there's that yeah. interesting concept, too, where like you can empathize with all the characters a little bit. Even Absolutely. though, even though the one I empathize with the most is Roy, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, yeah, and now going and now just going back real quick to the idea of the noir film, right? <laughs> the original noir film was created to have this kind of black and white, um, kind of strict um, viewpoint of the world. Um, you know, that's very much there's a good guy and there's a bad guy, and that's it. And the good guy is always going to find a bad guy at the end. But the traits of neo noir, which I think Blade Runner executes perfectly, is the idea of the good guy maybe is not the good guy who we anticipate. The bad guy maybe isn't the bad guy. Maybe there's a deeper evil. There's a deeper corruption that lies within our society that is that is the true evil. That is really the 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 evil behind behind uh, the situation. Um, we see movies like Chinatown do with that. We see movies um, like a lot of other noir movies from the seventies, neo noir movies from the seventies, eighties. Most recently, Nightcrawler is another example of that mm-hmm. that deals with that concept as well. The idea that society is doing the corrupting more. Uh, Taxi Driver, we were just talking about before the show. The idea of there's a system that's doing more of the corrupting than the actual. Uh, good guy or bad guy. So. Yeah, absolutely. All right, guys, uh, we're going to take a break. And then after the break, we're going to be talking about Blade Runner 2049, the yeah. sequel to this one. So make sure you guys stick around. Ooh. This ain't funny, so don't you dare laugh. With the 455, you in half. You getting at me equals a club half. You do the math. The following is from RB3's review of Knives Out. Enjoy. Seeing it twice, I, I, I went looking for specific moments oh. to really catch on. And cool. a lot of stuff added up to a lot of good stuff. There's one loose, there's a couple of tiny loose threads that I was able to detect, but that's it's such a non-issue. So it's, it doesn't so really it's a kind of movie that you want to go back and rewatch. Yes, yeah, so you, you'd want to go back and rewatch it. To kind of it. see where the, the mystery leads. Yeah, yeah, cool. yeah, 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 yeah. That's really it's, cool, it's, man. It's, it's, it's really fun. And again, if you love stuff like James, I love, I love um, um, Sherlock Holmes. I told you Sherlock oh, is one of my right. favorite shows. Um, and the, the movies with Robert Downey Jr. are amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've read a couple of the books. And if you are looking for a modernized American, kind of politically driven, 
Sherlock Holmes story, this is the movie for that nice. because it is so it is it's, it's that's it's all right. You wow. got me. Yeah. That's a good sell. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's yeah. a good sell, man. Because I love Sherlock Holmes. You yeah, know me. yeah. Alrighty, uh, I guess that, that those are the closing thoughts on Go See Knives Out. Go I know See we're Knives Out. Out. Highest recommendations, y'all. Highest really? Recommendations, Interesting. Yeah. Come along, children. Now we're going to have a little music. What is up, guys? We're back talking about Blade Runner. Now we're getting get into Blade Runner 2049. This movie came out in uh, 2016, 2017? No, 2017. 2017. Damn, I'm old. This movie came out in 2017, notoriously was like a $300 million movie and made like no money in the theater. This movie bombed pretty bad. It's very sad. It's pretty sad, yeah, actually. And it's directed by a director that we love and we did an episode on, Denny Villeneuve. It was our first episode, wasn't it? 2049 was this interesting follow-up because it goes back to my first part of this conversation where it's like, if you really, really think about it, not a lot of people are fans of this movie. And you saw that with the kind of, you know, turnout for Mm -hmm. 2049. Not a lot of people went to see it because not a lot of people were fans of it or had seen the first one. Right. Because if a lot of people have seen the first one, they'd at least check out this one. This movie is regarded as... Regarded by many, and by many I say a lot of critics yeah. and a lot of writers, as a, one of the best follow-up sequels in mm-hmm. a while and a really good adaptation of an original material and, and, and paying honor and tribute and homage to that because so much of nowadays RB3, Darina, mm-hmm. Sabrina, is, is being tr- having trepidation mm-hmm. towards adapting what's considered to be legendary, classic, Mm -hmm. perfect cinema, Mm -hmm. whether it's The Shining, whether it's Blade Runner, whether it's whatever it is that that people are saying, don't touch that, don't touch that, don't touch that, because old people love their old shit. Um, We do. Yeah, (laughs) uh, but but I I always feel like, let's, let's spark some shit up, bro. If you're inspired by something, fucking do it, and you can make some good shit. Uh, and I think Blade Runner 2049 is a good example of it because I think this is, this is some quality, quality stuff because I feel like it, it, it obviously, I've, I've heard your points and you're right. It doesn't exactly break the barrier with something so groundbreaking like the first movie did. It doesn't. What it does is it pays homage to it. It pays tribute to it in this interesting metaphorical fashion of taking Ryan Reynolds, not Ryan Reynolds, Ryan Gosling's character, mm-hmm. K, yeah, and give it K. That's yeah. his name, and giving him a, a, a different perspective and a different role. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to hear your guys' thoughts. I'll start with you, Sabrina, because yeah. I'm curious. Did you see? Bla- You've seen Blade Runner 2049, right? Yeah, I what saw it What do you think about this movie? Um, in theaters, <laughs> I thought it was just the visuals were really, really nice. Uh, we'll get to that, but I yeah. think this is one of the most beautiful movies yeah, ever. No, I was like, do people disagree? Oh, this was yeah, no, 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 no. Yeah. I was. Gonna, I so, think this is one of the most. I'm yeah. talking ever. But yeah, agree. We'll I'm really happy that. I saw it on screen. Yeah. Uh, purely for that, definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought it was a little bit slow, mm-hmm. but. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, but not not too bad. I think it definitely did it justice. Um, yeah. Talking about the sequels, I think it's definitely like a really good sequel to something mm-hmm. that's considered like, you know, at this point, like kind of like classic, mm-hmm. iconic. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, basically, you know, I think it did it justice. You just I just think it's a little slow, a little just dry. Just a little bit slow. That's why I haven't really yeah. revisited it. I did once. Um, yeah, I did once before. I tried to today. Wanted to get through it, it. It's one of those things. I, I went with my brother, who's not a Blade Runner fan, who's not a like cinema fan. He's mm-hmm. like a big MCU fan and mm-hmm. DCU fan. Um, so he loves comic book movies like I do. And he was also like in the same boat. He's like, bro, yeah. uh, some really good acting, but damn, this thing was slow. Damn, this thing was long. Like he just felt like it was so long and so drawn out. And a lot of people had that idea of just uh, being a really tedious kind of overdrawn movie i think there's a famous video i think it's on youtube of this guy who went through one scene where he's just walking and it's like eight minutes of him walking (laughs) i don't know if you know what i'm referring Mm -hmm. to rb3 Mm -hmm. but i just think that's so funny but yeah i'm so curious to hear your thoughts because you're a hardcore blade runner fan and we just talked about it i already know his thoughts but i'm curious to hear yours so this movie um i you know when I when it was announced first, I'm I'm immediately like putting on my nerd hat. And yeah, I'm like, Why? Oh, you're like, man. no, you, you know, can't like, touch it. Yeah, loser <laughs> nerd that I was, I still am. But uh, I, you know, I didn't know what to expect when I saw who was attached to it, especially you know Deacons, uh, mm-hmm. who's a genius. Um, yeah. I was like, you know what? At least it'll look good. Right. Uh, the trailers look good. Exactly. Uh, you know the score will be good. Um, I was worried because. A lot of these reboots have become, uh, you know, uh, cash grabs. Cash, thank you. Yes, I was looking exactly for that term. Uh, cash grabs. Uh, even, you know, I know people love Force Awakens, but it's basically a new hope, like at least half of the movie. It's kind of the same well, thing that we've I have seen. Right? Hot takes, but yes. Yeah, but so anyway, so, so, but you, you guys do agree that a lot of these reboots, similar to like Stranger Things, like so fun, but it, if, yeah, if ET it didn't exist, exactly, yeah. right? Yeah. So I like them. I enjoy all these reboots, but there, but there hasn't been one that like has grabbed me that I'm like, this is an amazing sequel. Mm-hmm. So, as just looking at it as a, from like a sequel, I think it's a good sequel. Yes, right. Uh, from as a as a big Blade Runner fan, I had a lot of issues with the story. I, I there's there's things that I love that I wish were explored more, uh, specifically with uh, just where Kay lived and the fact that he was living in a society where people treated him like you know what they call them the term skin job, skin job, right? Skin and so murder. that yeah. that was fascinating to me. Uh, but then it also touched on a little bit of nostalgia. Uh, points where I was like, oh, you know, like, I guess is is Joy kind of like the Rachel character, you know, yeah. mm-hmm. even though I love that whole storyline, right? Mm-hmm. I, th- I thought it was a cool, you kind of look like Ana de Armas. Oh, yeah. sure. Uh, yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah. I'll take that. Yeah. Good movie, by the way. Can I, since you brought it up, can I just say something, please? Yes. I was going to say, in the future, if 2049, right. if they really did bring out a joy, yeah. I was going to say, I think that solved the population problem. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, 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 for sure, for sure. That was a sure. great scene, by the way. Any time they'd be like, bro, there's too many people on the planet. It's like joy, 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 joy. Yeah. Can I just... pick up something else, too? Yeah. I saved a picture of her in this yeah. uh, for my bangs. Like, I'm getting my bangs cut. Uh, well, I was going to say, yeah, yeah, yeah. you have the same haircut, too. Yeah. Are you a hologram? Yeah. Are, you, are you real or are you a hologram? <laughs> I'm not <laughs> usually here. <laughs> 
<laughs> no, but anyways, uh, so I, I again, like I, I thought about like the character of Love. I'm like, she's cool, but is she the Roy Batty? Right. Um, I was not a fan of Jared Leto's character. Oh, really? Um, I, I thought he was like this weird like yoga like Mark Zuckerberg uh, yeah. like I yeah. just was not into uh, it at all I understand what they were trying to do sure. I just didn't like the way the characters was written Absolutely. and so yeah. there's things like that again I was bothered by uh, the fact that I, I love Harrison Ford I don't think he needed to come back I would have much rather have them explore what I was talking about, right? Like sure. just that world instead of having to be like, oh, you impregnated Rachel, like <coughs> those little things. And again, it's me being a nerd, right? It doesn't make it a bad movie. I just wish they had gone a different direction. Uh, oh, go ahead. However, as I was watching it visually and 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 being completely consumed by Hans Zimmer and ben- Benjamin Walfish's score mm. because I was like, how are they going to do this? How are they going to top Vangelis or at least match him? It doesn't top him for me, but at least it's, ama- it's yeah. still amazing. And and it matches the... the I, I think visually uh-huh. this movie is groundbreaking. Uh-huh. It's one of the most beautiful movies I've seen in years on the, on the on the big screen. I'm so sad that people didn't watch it because I, th- I hope it one day gets re-released because it is just... I mean, I don't know how they did it. it mm-hmm. It's incredible. And it that's the part that made me cry. Like, I lit- I was like, okay, I don't know if I like this movie, but let's see. And there was a scene where Kay is just on, on one of the spinners, and, and, and you see him going through uh, this... I don't know. It's like a really epic scene where you hear that 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 score, mm-hmm. and I literally started like tearing up because I'm like, okay, this movie may not be necessary, and I may uh-huh. not love it as more as much as the first one, but at least I'm getting that aspect of it. It's Honey. groundbreaking in the in the way that it looks, in the cinematography, and the set design. Like it's fucking beautiful. Hundred, yeah. hundred. I'll talk before you, real quick. That's all I want to say. It's just my God. Deacons, holy shit! Just yeah. give me that this first score Oscar for this movie. Give me yep. exactly. Give me that score mm-hmm. and give me those visuals, and you give me fucking pure cinema, I get man. Chills yeah. just like that, about that it. shit is just so mm-hmm. beautiful and so gorgeous. And I was just talking to, to Roka right before we went around. We went on, right. and I was talking to him about 1917. I just saw the trailer for that. I hadn't seen the trailer. Just the trailer, y'all. And this is a movie shot by Deacons for anyone who doesn't get what I'm referencing. Yeah. Directed by Sam Mendes. Directed by Sam Mendes. Just a trailer. And I was like, oh, I was already jumping out of my yeah. seat because I really do feel like cinematography is just as much cinema as storytelling can be. Just right. a pure visual aesthetic can be just as beautiful and just as perfect as any other part of cinema. Right. And I feel like adding those two elements of really amazing score and perfect visuals, in my opinion, perfect, um, can really make a beautiful movie. Mm-hmm. And just, it's on that, it's purely worth it just for me. Agreed. And that's yeah. kind of my last thoughts, and I'll let you go. Oh, no, no. it's good. <laughs> uh, Why do you hate this movie? <laughs> do you actually RB3? hate it? No, I don't hate it. Oh, so okay. here's my thing. But like, you, I. No, I don't hate. You I don't, don't hate, hate it. You're movie, right, but, but you talk a lot of shit about I'm, it. No, bro. I'm, passion, I'm passionate. I'm passionate. I mean, here's I, the thing. I talk a lot of shit about the prequels, and I don't actually hate them. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So here's the thing. Like, I can appreciate Blade Runner 2049, like as a great movie. If somebody says it's a great movie, I'm not going to argue them on it. If somebody says they uh, watched this movie and didn't connect to the original, but they like this one a whole lot, that's cool. Like, I totally get it because it's new, it's mm-hmm. fresher, it has a, a more modern, contemporary voice. 
Totally get that. Um, I also totally get people put it at their best of year. I totally it's going to be on a lot of best of the decade list, but it's not. It's just not going to be on mine. Yeah, um, which we got to do, bro. I mean, yeah. we got to speed that up. Best yeah. of the decade, man. Yeah, I yeah. just saw a, one of my favorite podcasts um, already released it, and I'm like, damn, I want to. Nah, we we got to slow down, but bro. no, bro. Wait, best if, of the decade. If you ask me personally, we shouldn't put that out till 2023. No. But that's a whole different question. I think we should do it next right, week. Yeah. <laughs> well, right. Next week, going to do it next yeah. week. Keep going. All right, we'll discuss that. Um, yeah. Uh, okay, because. For me, the the thing the thing with Blade Runner twenty forty nine is that it's personal grievances, it's personal shit that I don't like about it. Mm-hmm. So like I can't say that it's a bad movie or it's not a good movie. It's a great movie. It's just something that's not for me. But like you said, the visuals, cinematography, absolutely amazing, mind blowing stuff. Um, the sound design is absolutely amazing too. I think to that scene where um, K is getting interrogated before he goes mm-hmm. into the police station, it's like a more amplified von um, von Kemp test where he's von Kemp yeah. test. I'm sorry, um, where he's how where, dare you not know all the nerdy yeah, things? Yeah, no. <laughs> you know what's funny? I tried. I made a I made a whole joke about I made a whole joke about uh, von, von Kemp back in the Oshmo's No Days, yeah. and nobody else got it. But whatever, um, <laughs> it was on air too. I felt embarrassed. Um, the thing is, like when the th- but. Sound design, great. Cinematography, great. Production design, interesting. The editing, n- not, that wasn't. That's not it for me. Oh. That to me, to, to me, this movie uh, is abuse. Is you know abusively long. I think there's a lot of things uh, that. Okay. Is the, the, so that, you do feel like it is a little long and um, tedious. It's not long. It's it's tedious for this. There's there's really no motivation for a lot of it. We okay. when you look at the original Blade Runner. It has this sort of it, it is slow and it is slow moving, but there is a lot of life to it. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because people, a lot of people criticize Ridley Scott as a filmmaker, um, saying mm-hmm. uh, and a lot of his criticism is that he doesn't know how to bring life to characters. Like a lot of his characters feel lifeless. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of his films feel lifeless, and Blade Runner is the main one that they point to for that. Um, but if if this movie, that, if original Blade Runner doesn't have is lifeless, this one's like watching a coffin being. Uh, Buried. I mean, goodness gracious, there's entire sequences. You know, going to the Jared Leto point, there's a there's a whole scene where Jared Leto and I think Ryan Gosling are talking to each other. It's like 10 minutes long, but there's like there's like five minutes worth of pauses, like in between their speech. Like right. bruh, there like there's literally no reason other than the fact to just give you this weird sensation. And to me, I find that really disappointing, particularly because I watch Arrival. Arrival's one of my favorite movies, also by Denny Villeneuve. Mm. Um and that movie is slow and meticulous and slowly paced it's like a slow burn too but it's airtight like it's all mm. for a purpose and as many times as I've watched Blade Runner 2049 it felt like a lot of this movie is without purpose mm-hmm. um, that's that's one thing that's a personal that's one personal thing another personal thing is not again not an indictment on the movie itself it's me I can't watch this movie and not think I'm watching her I can't watch this movie and not think that I'm watching um Westworld. I can't watch this movie and not think that I'm watching anything else that Blade Runner has subsequently inspired. And that's and again, that's not that maybe that's the nerd in me. That's the Blade Runner nerd in me being like, listen, like the original Blade Runner is so groundbreaking. Why aren't you groundbreaking like story wise? Um, But um, that you know, it's funny we're talking about Watchmen before the show. Watchmen, to me, Watchmen is 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 the perfect example of a show that takes the original concepts and, and and takes the original themes but completely expounds on it and does something completely original mm-hmm. while advancing mythology and creating new mythology. To me, the only problem with this movie is that it felt like we were getting 
we it felt like because it was so far removed. If this movie, if Blade Runner twenty forty nine came out immediately after the original Blade Runner right. and it dealt with the themes that I was dealing with, it probably would have hit a lot harder. Yeah. Um, but the fact that I did see her that did the love story, the computer love story, way Great better. Um, the fact that I saw a whole season of Westworld where they do the beginnings and inklings of a revolution really well on HBO yeah. because I saw uh, a number of other because because I see movies like The Matrix play with ideas of memory and simulation and all of these concepts even though that is from stol- even, stolen from The Invisibles but you know, yeah, yeah 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 but you know, <laughs> but, yeah, no, I exactly, saying, but exactly yeah. but it's, 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 you see how the it, I just I just wish they would have expounded upon something different there is, right. it felt like it was continuing the same themes as the First, as the first Blade Runner, but those themes have already been so watered down through the rest of cinema that yes. it's kind of hard to, for me to grasp onto what they're saying here in this movie. It doesn't feel fresh at all. Well, so, it, it leads to a different. That's just me. It, it leads to another conversation. It leads to the conversation of what is a great sequel. What is paying homage without being too, like you said, nostalgia heavy? Without being too, you know. This is just an imitation of the mm-hmm. first one, mm-hmm. and, it, and it's it, it takes me back maybe because I'm on Collider Jedi Council now. Shout out to Jedi Council. Hey, um, it's one of those you guys things. are doing a great job. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I appreciate that. And, and it's one of those things where where I was talking to, to Ken about this, the idea of of Bob Iger's book, and if you read that book or at least the excerpts about Star Wars and George Lucas, he literally says that he sat down with George. This is how much you can get. You're going to get four point four billion. You know, whatever, and and obviously the Kathleen Kennedy thing. But then he started to to George Lucas started to say, "Hey man, this is what you got to do. Right. Like you got to introduce this shit, and this shit's crazy. And then fucking right. aliens from over here do this shit." Right. And Bob is like, "All right, cool, cool, cool. Chill out, chill out, man. Right, I'm, right. You know, we're, we're paying you four billion. Um, mm-hmm. And then in, when he sat down with someone like a J.J. Abrams, right. the only thing they wanted to do, the only concern that Bob had was just." don't offend anyone like Mm -hmm. literally just like just make it look like the original and Mm -hmm. everyone's going to be happy and that's and i I read the rolling stone article about with jj abrams and he said he just wanted to to take the exact same story structure but make it for a different character for Mm -hmm. ray Mm -hmm. which is fine I, i i still think the force awakens works but it's that idea of following up a sequel a c but it's different though than making like a spider man 2 because or or like a, a sequel that follows right after like two three years later versus a sequel to something that's considered like Sabrina said a classic a legendary movie like Blade Runner mm-hmm. a director like a Denny any director give this movie to any director Blade Runner 2049 95% of them are going to give you something like 2049 in the sense that they're not they don't want to offend anyone they don't want to step on any toes because they're so precious to the first one Right? It's that idea of like, I'm paying homage, therefore I don't want to change anything that you created. Mm-hmm. Does that work in a right. sequel? I, I don't I Well, don't know. and that's, I mean, and obviously we've learned that as much as I grew up on Disney and I love a lot of their stuff, they do play it very safe now, mm-hmm. right? And and that's, uh, and it, it it's too, it's the cash grab thing, right? Like we don't want to piss people off because we want people to give us money, right? Like that's, right. that's it's a business. That's, mm-hmm. that's how they work, right? These people are producers and, and heads of companies and, and they have one goal in mind, right? Mm-hmm. But um, I think it's, it's interesting because we're on the Star Wars topic. 
Empire Strikes Back is one of my favorite sequels of all time. It's my it's my favorite Star Wars movie, and it's because not only does it expand on what the original uh, did with you know expanding the character story development and all that stuff, but even it was also re- revolutionary as to like how it looked, and maybe that's because it was different directors, you right. know. Uh, but um, it was it was a very different movie than the original, mm-hmm. right? And those are better sequels to me. Godfather Two, right? Yes, like like yes. if you if you start talking talking about good sequels, like. Aliens. I mm. still Alien is still one of my favorite movies, and and it's my favorite uh, in the franchise. But Aliens is a great sequel because it's different, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it takes that leap. Terminator, exactly. Terminator, Terminator two. two, Terminator yeah. two, mm-hmm. exactly. And so, and that's the thing that I feel like half of twenty forty nine was kind of aiming at, but then mm-hmm. they got scared, and mm-hmm. they're like, "Well, we got to bring Harrison Ford back, mm-hmm. and we got to bring um, Sean John, uh, Sean, Sean, Sean Young, Young. Mm-hmm. back," and and I feel like it wasn't necessary. Right, yeah. and that's and that's where the story started getting long, uh, slower and weaker to me because of that. Right, yeah. and so it sucks. Like I wonder, I don't know who makes those choices, but studios do. Right, but so maybe they told Denis, "This 100. is what you have to do," and yeah. otherwise, we don't want you to make this movie. You know, I don't know. Right, yeah. So I think he did an amazing job with what he had. Yes. Right, compared to most sequels. That are that that are formulaic and that do try to please the fans. It's one of the better ones. As much as I I would yeah. change a lot of things about it. Hundred mm-hmm. yeah. percent. It really is a fascinating conversation of just I just search on Google best sequels, right? Best movie sequels, and like you said, T two, Aliens, Godfather two, Superman two, Spider Man two. The Dark Knight, like these are all Gremlins too. Um, Gremlins too. Um, <laughs> Granted, this movie is a bigger movie Empire than the Strikes original. Back. This movie yeah. is a bigger movie than the original Blade Runner sure. because yes. it, it they expand to multiple different locations. They go to San Diego. They go all these different mm-hmm. um, places. And we see expanded. It expands the world. It shows that. you what happened to Vegas, which is kind of funny. Yeah, it's like yo, yeah. what happened to Vegas? And it's like yo, <laughs> yeah. what happened to Vegas? Right. Uh, it seems pretty it cool. Ex- it exploded, <laughs> yeah. right. but cool. Yeah. Right. Um, and then San Diego turns into like the literal. Toilet for LA. And I, I was know. like, yo. Yeah. <laughs> All the San Diego people watching this movie are like, yeah. really? Where the toilet? Where did Chinatown go? Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and I was like, I didn't see any taco trucks. Like, I was worried about this 2049 yeah. so, future. So, can I, can I just get into my nitpicky bag about like the Please. little things I don't like about yeah. this sure, movie? Man. Um, this is not, it's be really quick, I swear to God. Um, <laughs> One thing, again, is not a criticism against the movie. It's a criticism for me as a Blade Runner fan. Um, when you look at look at this frame behind us, like you yeah. see like all kinds of squares, nicks, uh, like all kinds of shapes and patterns. Sure. Um, when you watch Blade Runner twenty forty nine, the production design is sparse. Like there is a lot of blank walls. There's a lot of empty spaces. There's okay. a lot of whereas you watch the original Blade Runner and. Rick Decker can't even walk through the street without bumping into somebody's elbow. There are multiple shots of Ryan Gosling walking through this movie where the streets are completely empty, where the okay. walls are completely clean. Um, so it it feel it has a different feel. I mm-hmm. that's made that again pre- personal preference. That's not a feel that I want to see in, in Blade Runner. Mm. So you know it, it kind of it already it just already kind of is a layer removed from what I'm what I'm expecting so totally agree man and and that's I I didn't know if that was like an age thing for me or a preference thing because I because I grew up on all these sci-fi fantasy movies I have a problem with specifically the Star Wars prequels as to how clean they look right Mm. like to me it's it, it feels personally like I'm watching a video game and like I'm not watching a real world happen in front of my eyes and mm. I feel like Blade Runner not only were the streets busy but the whole you know it's, yeah, it's every a, shot was 
packed to the brim exactly. with, with detail and everything. And that's and that's what makes you like I don't even know where to look, right? Yeah. And so and that's what that's what makes me believe in the story more. And maybe again, I don't know if that's personal preference, but mm. I do I do agree with that. As much as it was be- visually stunning, mm. you're right that it's just like okay, well this is just Brian Gosling walking uh, amongst a very clean like as much as it looks beautiful, you know it's a green screen, right? Like, mm-hmm. so it takes you away a little bit from the movie. True. Yeah. Sure. Um, one more tiny little. G- give gri- me more. Man. One more. One more tiny little graphics. And again, this bad nitpicky stuff. I get really annoyed in movies when I'm watching a movie and I could look at an entire storyline and think, huh. You could cut this entire storyline and it won't change anything. To me, that's my problem with the joy. There's two problems. This problem with the joy oh, storyline. Like um, yeah, because I I do think that that if you cut that if you cut that entire piece out of the movie, yeah. The I, the the, re, the only reason why that whole forty five minute sequence of them hanging out and being together and stuff is there. Is you so, mean the sex scene? Yeah, 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 I thought yeah. that was a pretty cool scene. It was, I was a cool scene. Say, it was yeah. a cool scene. It's cool. It's cool. It, it is a cool scene. It, establishing the revolution and stuff. Cool <laughs> stuff. It, individual scenes in this movie are great. Right. It's just to me when it adds up to the bigger picture, none of it it connects as well as I as I wanted to. Sure. So the only reason I felt like Joy was there so is that um, the henchman for uh, Jared Leto, yeah, she can crush her little. Uh, she could crush the the the, box, the machine, yeah, and so it'll, it'll kill her. Yeah. Um, so that's really the the only purpose of that character being there was an op- was to be objectified by Ryan Gosling's character. Yes, and. It didn't really offer much commentary beyond that, you know. Of course, she's a ro- of course she's a program hologram, and yeah. hologram, and that's the point. But you think in a movie that presents that point, it would do something to subvert it, but it doesn't really do anything. Even okay. from a story structural level, it doesn't do anything to subvert that. Well, and it's 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 to me, it's just like trying to rehash the Rachel yeah. Deckard relationship. And, mm-hmm. and as much as I liked that scene, and I thought it it was really cool what they did with it, you're right that it didn't really serve the story. Mm-hmm. And 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 it's interesting that you mentioned that because to me, it was more so like. The, as soon as I saw Rachel walk in and they're like, oh, you guys had a kid, I was just like flipping the table in, yeah. the, in the theater. I was like, why? There's uh, yeah. no need for that at all. Especially when, like, I'm, I'm supposed to believe that these characters fell in love when he, mm. you know, like how like weird and violent he was in the first movie. It's just, it, yeah. just, it doesn't make sense. Sure, sure. What, what do you guys think of the, the, the final third act? And, and I'll go to you, Sabrina. Um, as far as him being or thinking he is this revolutionary figure to lead kind of this new replicants out of this. Again, what Roy Batty was kind of, like I said in the beginning of this podcast, was supposed to be represent kind of this like Moses-type, Jesus-type figure of leading his own people and then him kind of being deceived and realizing that's not really him. You said you didn't like it because of Westworld already did that. Oh, no, um, there's more reasons why I don't like <coughs> that stuff, but yeah, sure. I'll start with you, Sabrina. Yeah. What do you think of that, that concept and, and where it led? Um, how, when I first saw it, it worked for me. Um, mm. so I've never seen Westworld, but obviously we'll hear your other reasons for it. Right, um, right, right. I kind of like the fact that we followed him. He thinks he's this person and then he finds out that he's not. And then we're having to deal with like all the aftermath afterwards. Mm. So yeah, I enjoyed that twist. Yeah. That little like, not twist, but yeah. What about you, man? What was your, uh... Um, well, no, I just, I, I, I vibed with the idea of like thinking that you're some greater chosen being. Mm-hmm. Um, the only part of the only part that I don't like that the movie setting that up is is that there's really no uh, I mean obviously the beginning investigation where he interrogates Dave Batista is like the first clue to that but otherwise it's all within Kay's own head and Kay's not a very emotional 
connect, not easy characters to connect with emotionally. So I'm not really invested in his storyline to even begin with. So the fact that it's his own question of like, am I a hero? Am I not a hero? I kind of just automatically check out just from the jump because I don't think yeah. his character has a lot of life. And which really says something because Ryan Gosling is honestly one of my favorite actors. Oh, no but way. yeah, uh, well, of modern times. Uh, but I it, thought you were tearing up because no, no, so no, La La Land. Are you kidding me? Oh, um, but <laughs> I'm with you, man. Yeah, but I, I just think I just think that. The, the, the fact that that question even has to be asked, I mean, it's for one, it's a rehash of the original Blade Runner question. If if, if, if Rick is a replicant, this one is is this guy uh, a yeah. natural born replicant. Um, this, I don't know. It just felt, it felt, for one, it felt repetitive. For two, Westworld. And for three, um, I didn't have a connection to the case. So I don't, I, that's not I even see. a question I even want answered. So. Interesting. I wanted answered while I'm watching the movie. So. I mean, I started, I started to have a, uh, I started to really like the K character, mm-hmm. and uh, even though like I n- I haven't ever been like a huge Ryan Gosling fan because I hated the Notebook so much. Yeah. Uh, but, <laughs> but then I, I was like, oh, he's actually a really good actor. Uh, but um, it's it's interesting because I feel like that's what I mentioned earlier, like him just living in that world and and being ostracized and being used for the purposes of like you know you are you are a machine that works for us and you have to do what we say, otherwise we're gonna terminate you, whatever it is, right? Like that's a kind of a cool and scary uh thing that mm-hmm. i that i feel like that's what i that's what i wish they had focused on more whereas like i wish they had gone the route of like k is now our deckard and where he's definitely a replicant and mm-hmm. we're going to go through his journey mm-hmm. but then he ended up being like just uh uh walking us through the journey of the old characters yeah. that didn't need to be there does he, that make sense exactly and so and so that's why i didn't uh i didn't like how it ended and especially like that last scene where he's in the snow and they play yeah. the tears and rains thing i'm mm-hmm. like okay well yeah i love this like song right, but you right, guys are right. you clearly it. manipulating yeah, me yeah, into yeah. you know just it, being like being emotional about it, it can i just i probably i i think i was the only one in the theater who who my brother turned to me and he's like is he dead and I was like, I don't know, is he? I don't think he is. Is he? I don't. They didn't make that clear if he died. Well, they made but, it clear with the with, the, with yeah. the tears and rain score. I know, I know, but but, but yeah. it's one of those things where it's like that wasn't super. I don't know. I just thought it was kind of bizarre. Um, any final thoughts on Blade Runner twenty forty nine, and we can peace out of here. Uh, I'm done shitting on it. Yeah. <laughs> Now again, great movie, great movie, great movie. They're gonna kill me in the comments. Uh, they right. probably will. Yeah. I mean, they're kill me is, for anything. It so. is fascinating though to see, and uh, I, I said this before we taped, is that I was fighting with my friends the, like for an entire week, similar with Joker, where I was like, some people loved it, some people hate it, but so many people I was fighting with, and and people in the space, like uh, I think that I don't know about Roca, but like Jeremy Johns, like I discussed this with people, and they they love the sequel more and they think mm. the the sequel is is uh, much better the than the original yeah, yeah yeah they yeah. think 2049 is better is better than the original blade runner and i'm just like it makes me so mad yeah. which is dumb I, it doesn't really make yeah. me it mad matter, yeah. but but yeah like inside i'm I just like you. how because the biggest thing for me as to why I'm this is my favorite movie is I feel like the new movie as much as it was beautiful it missed all the poetic themes mm. that that the original like gave us like yeah. there's nowhere there's so many beautiful uh as much as there's sparse dialogue in the original Blade Runner, it's all very beautiful, right? right. Like everything from obviously uh, the tears and rain monologue to uh, Gaff saying that line about like, too ba- you know, it's too bad she won't live. Uh, Roy Batty constantly is telling Deckard, uh, you know, quite uh, what, what's that line where he's where he goes, uh, uh, 
quite a predicament or what is it to live in quite an experience to uh, live yeah. in fear yes yeah. that's what it means to be a slave right mm-hmm. like it's like everything that these pe- these characters are saying you're like yes i get it mm-hmm. yes i relate to that emotion and 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 it's all about the human condition and i feel like that's what missed that that's what what i was missing in the sequel interesting yeah. any final thoughts on 2049 um yeah i think it was a pretty decent sequel i'm happy i saw it in theaters again strictly for the visuals just yeah. cuz yeah um, if they did re-release it, I know you mentioned something about that earlier. If they did, I would like to go see it again. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it's not something I'm going to like really watch at home. I mm. definitely like the original a lot more. So yeah. interesting. Yeah. You man? Um, no, I mean, I, I I I agree with the poetic part that you just said too. I think uh, there's also a poet a poeticism to the camera movement in the original Blade Runner. Like there's that one scene um, uh, where uh, I forget which two characters is Tyrell and and. Um, it might have been. It might have been Sebastian, but right. the, but where where they where they're having that conversation, and he kills him, mm-hmm. and then but you see the camera kind of swirl around the entire room and mm-hmm. kind of have this movement and this energy to it. There's not a lot of energy in Blade Runner 2049, so that's why it feels like it's moving a lot slower than it actually is. So that makes sense. Yeah. Can I give a quick little? Because I, I like weird stuff. Um, that idea of of when love is sitting on her on her seat and she's looking back, and the fact that she's controlling a drone, I find that to be probably one of the coolest parts of the entire movie Mm -hmm. because again that to me I like pushing the envelope and pushing the idea of what happens in the future and imagine this future Mm -hmm. where military generals or corporate leaders can control back on their couch sitting back on their couch Mm -hmm. just dropping bombs from a drone Mm -hmm. to me I was like that's such a that's just that's worth the admission for the ticket for me, right? Because that's pushing the envelope in a different way that the first movie didn't do. Mm-hmm. That I was like, that's a potential future that I can see that's right. super scary, where she's just basically like boom, 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 drone drop, drone right. drop, it, and it's just the idea of like drone warfare being the the potential future that we're headed, and that to me was like. Yeah, and I wish they Crazy. had ex- explored more of that stuff. Yeah, because right? like, that to me yeah. was like, whoa, that's scary. Yeah, but. Agreed. That's probably my biggest takeaway. And Roger Deakins winning his Oscar because I thought it was yeah, beautiful so movie. And, pro- and again, shout out to Benjamin Walfish and Hans Zimmer for oh, like, yeah. Com- yeah. Com- trying score. to compete with Vangelis, right? Because you're never going to be able to like top it, but they did a really good job. Absolutely. Yeah. Dorina, thank you for coming here. Ooh, I know this was longer than we thank thought. Yeah. I, well, that's what you get when you invite yeah. me to talk about Blade Runner. Yeah. I was three beforehand was like, bro, it's going to be 20 minutes. I'm like, I, I, sure, 20 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think this was 20 minutes. No. But either way, thank you so much for coming on. We appreciate you and, and thank you for sticking around because again I know that's a lot and it's a hassle no, I we love, appreciate it I love being here thanks for having me for the first time yeah. I love nerding out with you guys oh, so thank you. Yeah. It. time yeah. to die there you go. <laughs> time to die alrighty uh, for the meaning of podcast I am Andres this is Arby Durian I'm Sabrina and Dorina Dorina there you go we are peace out peace out guys peace out